Turn to Acts chapter 9 this morning. Thank you, beautiful. I prayed a really, uh, I prayed a, a very, very dangerous prayer this week, uh, last Sunday. Um, I, I asked the Lord to give me a week of humility. <laughs> uh, and He answered me. You believe that? It was hard. It was a, that, by the way, don't pray that prayer too often. The prayer of asking the Lord to humble you because it seems like that prayer is one he answers all the time. It's so good. It's so good for that to take place because it seems like uh, I need to be humbled so often in order to really hear the Lord and what he has to say to me. Maybe what he has to say to you today. So I, I, I come to you this morning with that kind of attitude and, and uh, really um, all, just this attitude of really wanting to be humbled and, and convicted by what the Scriptures have to say to us this morning. And as we continue our series in, in the book of Acts, the, the thing that I want us to do this morning as we talk about uh, Saul, who later became Paul, is I want us to... Look at the scripture and I want you to look at how the Lord's working in the scripture. What is the Lord doing as we read about this? How is he acting? What's important to him? Right? And the two things that I really came up with this week as I was studying the scriptures, we're going to see these truths that are going to really come out of this first piece of scripture that really, really have a lot of meaning for us as his children. And the first thing is, as we study and look at God, we see a a hunting God. God hunting us down. But then coupled with that, we see God transforming us as his sons and daughters. Both things, both truths, very difficult many times for us to grasp and take hold of. Now, I recognize this morning that one of the difficulties of coming into a place like this and listening to this is that many times as we share the truth, it's completely out of context in light of how you've been living your week. Your your weeks may have been crazy. Your week may have been crazy this week. You're sitting there right now and you may be going, I don't have, I I, I don't even want to be here. I don't know if the Lord would have anything for me this morning. Well, guess what, my brother and sister? He does. Because he's good. And so let's pray and ask Him to speak to us this morning and do a work inside of our lives. Okay? Lord, we come to You this morning as Your very feeble and broken children, daughters and sons that are on a wayward journey many times. And as we sing that song, we many times would think that You have passed us by. And we need so much of you to just absolutely wreck us with your grace and mercy and truth. And many of us this morning are in such weird places. We we struggle, we 
we're here, we're there, we're everywhere. We just need you to do a work in our lives this morning. I pray that you would. I pray that nothing that would take, that would take place or happen this morning would be as a result of a preacher and his wisdom. Good grief, save us from that. Lord, we just count on your supernatural power and your word to, to do a deep work in our lives. We pray all this in your name. Amen. Let's start there at Acts chapter 9. Look at verse 1 with me. We'll read this. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. And he went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. Hmm. Verse 3, as he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him, and he fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. Then look who shows up here. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up. And go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless, and they heard the sound but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. Very different life than Paul had been leading or Saul had been leading. Verse 9, for three days he was blind, did not eat or drink anything. And in Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias, and the Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street. Interesting, isn't it? Paul had been living quite a crooked life at this point. Go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. Hmm. And in a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, come on. Ananias answers, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. In other words, are you crazy? But the Lord said to Ananias, go. This man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. And look at 16. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. I think it's important to understand as we see this here. I think it's important for us to really grab a hold of the understanding that at no time do we get the record or understanding that Saul before this time had been at any kind of revival or promise keepers meeting? No men's Bible study that he was seeking out the truths of the Lord. No accountability group. No buddies over at the coffee shop that he was talking to about the truths of the living God. This man was a terrorist. He was killing Christians. He sat on the circle and watched Stephen die. His heart's joy was to put Christians in prison. He was a persecutor of Christians. Didn't matter. Because when the Lord sets his eyes on his children before the foundation of time, it's over with, baby. It's done. 
In other words, you can't hide. You can't hide from God. When he sets his affection on you, it's done. It's done for all of your life. You may think, wrongly so, that you can hide in the tunnels of sin and deceit and whatever the case may be, but God knows. God will chase you down. God chased Adam and Eve down after they had ate the apple. He walked back into the garden and he says, where are you? Why are you naked? Why were they naked? Because they were filled with shame of the sin they had committed. But despite their shame, God shows up. God hunts them. He's on their feet. He's there right in front of us. And he's there right in front of you. And he's there right in front of me. My girls here here today, all of them, I believe. When we were when they were little, we used to play a game called Lion. And they were, I don't know, three. Four. And they would go hide and I would um, chase them around the house on all fours. And uh, of course their hiding places weren't too advanced. And I would sneak up on them from behind and I would roar as loud as I could, as loud as I could humanly possible roar. I roared and to see their face when I roared and snuck up on them. Have you ever surprised anybody? Some people will speak in a really foreign language when you surprise them, you know, Um, but their face was filled with fear slash joy like you know this back and forth between you know what is really going to happen to me okay are you actually going to devour me are you an actual lion and i remember my girls a lot of times putting their 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 arms out and, and wanted to touch my face you know to see if i was the actual lion right and i remember one of these days that i did this and I had, I don't know which one of the girls it was, but they, they looked at me and they were real close to me and I realized I had gone too far. And they began, they were beginning to kind of cry and tear up because I would scared them so much. You know, oh my gosh, I've damaged my daughters beyond, you know, <laughs> I mean, that's what you're thinking, right? And, they look, and, and one of them looks at me and reaches out for my face and says this, Daddy, don't be a lion. Be daddy. And of course, I would want them to rush into my arms and reassure them that I was daddy. Now follow this concept. God has two purposes. When you read through the scripture, you will see these two things that work, and they work many times in tandem. Redemption, and you'll see these in, in Acts 9 here. Redemption, okay? Rule. These are friends. They work together. Now follow this. You don't get one without the other. Redemption and rule can only be accomplished through the one who is uniquely worthy to give us redemption and rule. And who is that? Jesus Christ himself. He is simultaneously, the Bible says, the fierce lion of Judah, warring against God's enemies, 
and the gentle lamb that has been slain, both things, purchasing his people with the blood of his atoning sacrifice. So in in the scripture, you get redeemer God and you get ruler God. Uh, One of uh, our phenomenal ladies, I don't know if if Sarah's here today, but she painted this last Easter for us. And this is a picture of the crucifixion, the cross, the three crosses. Do you see it? In the scriptures, you'll see this theme of redemption in one hand. Okay. And you, then you see the theme of rule on the other hand, the hammer. Which do we like? Ta-da! Are you kidding me? I like Lamb Jesus. Slain for my sins. I don't like ruler Jesus who's going to tell me what to do. Right? But as you read through this scripture here, you see that God is wielding both. Let me get back to that in a minute. This, In this instance, as it relates to Acts chapter 9, Paul had been God's enemy, a deadly killer of Christians and a rebel against the gospel. He was a man who was burning with hatred and he was determined to destroy the truth. And Jesus fiercely hunts Paul down like a lion. He intervenes in time and space on a dusty road and he puts the jaws of his sovereign love and grace around his throat. That's a really weird way to talk about grace. But it's what happened to Saul on that day. The jaws of the Lord on Saul's throat It's not how I like to think about God. I like the lamb part of God. I want God to be daddy and not lion. I want God to be lamb and not lion. But unfortunately on this day, my friend, and unfortunately in our lives, Paul didn't get to choose what kind of God was speaking to him on that day. He didn't. He could not control the kind of God that had stopped him in his life, that had hunted him down. He was a completely helpless love victim. But follow when I ask you this question. But is that my problem and our problem? Someone has said that our image of God determines our behavior towards God. If that's the truth, what is your image of God? If that is true, then I want a very tame image of God. I do not want a Lord that's going to come and interview or intervene in my life and ruin everything. I want baby manger Jesus in my life. That's what I want. With the halo around his head and the halo around all the animals' head and the kind of this kind little baby Jesus that really won't interfere and do much. Good grief, don't I ever want that, don't you? I don't want a God who gets down on all fours and chases me. I want a God who comes home every night and eats and grunts and pushes away from the table and burps and goes and buries his head in the newspaper. That's what kind of dad some of us had, right? 
So as a result of some of the, that kind of dad we have, we would naturally think that God couldn't possibly be interested in our lives because that's not the kind of dad that we have. But give, let me just tell you something, my young daughter, son. That's not the kind of God we have. We don't have a safe God. We have a God who sees fit to intervene, violently so, into our lives, who hunts down his children. You may think today, young son, young man, you may think today that you can walk through the labyrinth of sin, of wandering away from the Lord. God knows. He's on your heels. He loves you that much. He loves you, daughter, just that much. Know it. Count on it. He'll show up. He won't let you go. It's a beautiful truth. We can't hear it enough. But I do want to tame him. I don't want the fierce lion of Judah who comes in an instant to ruin my plans. I love this quote from the Chronicle of Narnia series. It's in the, in the quote in a book called The Last Battle and says this, Do you think I keep him in my wallet, fools? says Tyrion. Who am I that I could make Aslan appear at my bidding, Aslan being God? He's not a tame lion. And later on, Mr. Thomas says this, No, he's not a tame lion. But Lucy says this, No, he's not a tame lion, but he is good. Do you believe it? Hey, you believe it? Do you believe that he's good? Or have your circumstances, the thing that you're involved in right now, determined how what God's like right now? If that, whatever circumstances it is, is it your circumstances that determine the image that you have of God? Is he uninvolved? He doesn't seem to care. Do you believe he's good? Daughter of Jesus, do you believe that he's good? Can you trust him enough? to know that He's on your heels and He's got something for you? It may not be what you want. Do you trust Him? Is He good? Is He good? Is He good? Maybe some of us in the deepest, dark, darkest part of our place would say, no, He's not good. And I don't love Him today. Well, God is still hunting. And he has redemption in his right hand and he has the hammer in his left. And he's going to do his work. And it's a very difficult proposition for us to deal with. And we can be sure that he's going to do his work. We see this truth throughout all the scriptures. Let me give you a row. I just love this, this poem by Francis Thompson. Go ahead and show it, David. See if this is, see if this makes any sense to you. I fled him. Down the nights and down the days, I fled him down the arches of the years. I fled him down the labyrinthine ways of my own mind and in the midst of tears. I hid from him, and there's many that are. And under running laughter, up vestayed hopes I sped, and shot precipitated, adown titanic glooms of chasmed fears.
from those strong feet that followed, followed after. But with unhurrying chase and unperturbed pace, deliberate speed, majestic instancy. They beat, and a voice beat more instant than the feet. All things betray thee who betrayest me. And I love this because this is me. I pleaded outlaw wise by many a hearted casement curtained red, trellised with intertwining charities, and don't I ever have intertwining charities in my life and in my heart. For though I knew his love who followed, yet was I sore adread, lest having him I must have not beside. But if one little casement parted wide, the gust of his approach would clash it too. Fear wist not to evade, as love wist to pursue. He pursues us. You may think that today, that he's, how could he possibly pursue me? Because I'm in a deep, dark corner. I'm in a deep, dark way. I'm in a bad relationship. I don't have a job. The series that goes on and on and on. My friends, do you actually believe that God is the same yesterday and today and forever? If you would say yes to that, then God is hunting you down. Yes, he is. It's a beautiful truth. He hasn't forgotten you. He's not asleep. He loves you. And He's in violent pursuit of you. It's a hard thing for many of you to hear, especially when you don't feel it. The second thing. I need to say something about that real quick. Many of you have created a superstructure of theology and what you would call sociology, how you relate to your fellow man, by how you feel about something. And you need to know that it's absolutely a destroyer of what God wants to do in and through your life. He's not calling us to be children who live our lives by what we feel. He's calling us to be children who know the truth and who live our lives by the truth. It's a hard thing to get a hold of. Am I saying that you can't feel? No. I'm saying that you can't, you shouldn't create a, a structure, a doctrinal foundation where you're going to do, you're going to serve God, give your money, whatever, based on how you feel. Because your feelings will always betray you. Many times, I, when I wake up in the morning, I don't feel like being married. Does that mean I'm not married? No, I just have to have my girls get up and start talking girl talk about weddings and everything else. And I realize real quick that I'm married and <laughs> got a full house full of women. One of the things that the Scriptures does in our lives is the Scripture tells us this isn't about you and your feelings as you read with me. The Scripture says, I'm in the house, God says. And it's not about your feelings, it's about me. The, the Lion of Judah, who will redeem and who will rule... Despite whatever. God transforms us. This is a beautiful piece of scripture because as we see here, Paul, and let's just refer to him as Paul for the rest of the talk. Paul becomes, he starts this journey. God intervenes and now God sends him on this journey of transformation. And before I go into this, let me ask you a really important question that you don't have to answer out loud, but it's important that you kind of, kind of take inventory and answer it honestly. Do you believe that God is still in the business of transforming His children? 
Do you believe it? Do you believe that that's what God does? Do you believe that He's interested in that in you? Do you believe that? From the moment on Paul, that Paul's life, that we see Paul's life here, we begin to see as a result of what took place here in, in Acts chapter 9 and all the way through now the Scriptures, we begin to see this amazing tale of transformation that takes place. Are you following with, with me? This unbelievable odyssey that Paul goes on. You ever see, oh brother, where art thou, the movie? That this unbelievable odyssey these, these guys are on? You know that country music they're singing, you know, and all that, right? That's my life. That's exactly like it is. I didn't ever expect about 90% of the things that have happened to me have, are happening out of, obviously, way out of my control. And it's been like, whoa! One, me, one, you know, one week I'm swimming, you know, on top of the tsunami, surfing cool. Next week I'm in the dredges of despair, wondering what in the world am I doing? What happened to the, to the surfing? Right? That's what happens with Paul. He goes on this unbelievable odyssey of craziness. Like the Tin Man and the Wizard of Oz, he had been given a new heart. And like the Tin Man on this enchanting journey on the way to Oz, now Paul is on this unbelievable odyssey, enchanting journey on the way to the cross. And he goes from a man who literally, follow this now, who wants to kill Christians. Think about this now. He goes from wanting to kill Christians to making this statement, I want to know Christ and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in His sufferings. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Well, what in the world happened? between Acts chapter 9 and Philippians. What took place? I'll tell you what took place. God, as the Bible says in Ezekiel, had given him a new heart. The Bible says, I will give you a new heart, put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone, which Paul had, and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you. And listen to this. And I will move you to follow my decrees. So God is interested in and very, very concerned about the spiritual transformation of you. All of you. Let me say that again. All of you. How does God go about working this work of transforming Paul? Well, look what he does here. In the scriptures it says he stops him mid-flight. He's walking on the road. It says that he strikes him down. Look at that. He's down on the ground, the scripture says. He blinds him. He takes command and control of his life. He takes speech from him. He allows him to go without food and water for three days. He puts him in the humbling situation where he must be led. There are some very important clues that we need to pick up on. And I'm going to say some things to you here that are going to be important for us to listen to and hear as it relates to God and the way he transforms his children today and the way that he wants to transform you as it looks a lot like the way that he did with Paul. But you're not going to like much of what I have to say. I'm sorry this theme keeps coming up. And I know you guys always think that I'm beating this dead horse when I talk to you about the importance of suffering in our lives. 
lives. But really, when you look at his whole life, what, what God did to Paul right here is tremendous suffering. He didn't, he didn't go build him a white mansion on the top of a, of a mountain and, and give him a pool and a bed of roses and just, this is great, isn't it? Just yell my gospel out from the roof of the mountain. No, he doesn't. How does God go about this work of transforming him? Because I'm going to tell you what. Paul says in 2 Corinthians, he says, I was, I was in prison. I had beatings, multiple near-death experiences, almost stoned, shipwrecked, nomadic lifestyle, danger on the rivers, danger from bandits, danger from false brothers, no sleep, no food, no water, being cold and naked, and eventually he dies. Yeah, we don't like to hear it, I know, I don't. But let me give you some things that may help you this morning. Think about these things. Please give me just a little bit more time. Because there are some important clues here as it relates to how God transforms us. First of all, I want to say this. God stops us just like he stopped Paul in mid-flight. Many of us here today, please hear this when I say it. Many of us here today are in desperate need of a life stoppage. A time where we can stop and critically, spiritually think about what we're doing and why we're doing it. Think about it. Put down your iPhones. Put down Facebook. Put down whatever it is. And what would it look like for God to stop you midlife and talk to you? What would it look like for you to start answering some very important questions in your life that with the speed of this life, they do not get asked near enough? What am I doing? What am I doing with my job? What am I doing with my career? What am I doing? How am I doing? What am I doing as a husband? What am I doing as not as a husband? As a single woman? What am I driven to do? Why do I have this consuming fear all the time in my life that I'm never going to find the man that God has for me? Why is that seem to be all the time in my life? What are you doing? What is this about? Why am I thinking this way? Getting beneath the surface of asking about what's going on in my life. God desires to stop us. And you know what, guys? I want you to know. Think about this for a minute. Do you know why one of the ways that the Lord uses pain in our lives? Because pain many times is the only time that we start asking the right questions in our lives. That's truly true. Pain many times in suffering is the only time where we actually will look at another brother or sister and say, I need help. We don't do that. Pain is the only time in my life where I say, why am I like this? What is going on in my life? Think about it. Are you will, would, would you allow God to stop you? Because he's in that business. Does God have to strike us down like he did Paul? This was probably the first time that Paul had been on his knees before God, but trust me, it wouldn't be his last time. When was the last time you uh, or I were absolutely laid out before the Lord? In just on our knees, out. Or just in absolute total submission this last week. This is a, a really weird story. I didn't expect it to happen. It came in early. It was Wednesday morning, I think. It came in early in the office. And uh, 
I didn't have, and as I tell the story, you're going to think that I had this like super spiritual woo kind of thing. And it wasn't like that. I walked into the office and I, I thought about going to Facebook and checking my Facebook or I thought, and I want to check my email. That's a lot of times first thing I'll do. And I, for some reason, I don't know why it was, I just decided to uh, turn this worship song on and I'm not going to tell you the song. Because you get all like, oh my gosh, that's Christian cheesy. And, okay. So I won't tell you the song that I listen to. It's an old song. I'm an old man. Deal with it. Okay. <laughs> I turn the song on and I begin to weep at the beautiful words of this song. And as I sat there, all I could think about was just raising my hands to the ceiling. And I was so convicted in my life about the fact that I love to sing to myself because I worship me all the time. All the time. It's about what I want to do, what I'm feeling. And I was, I was, I felt so small and so loved at the same time. Do you follow what I'm saying? You follow it at all? And I, I, I just was like, Lord, you are so phenomenal, big and good. And I, I felt this overwhelming sense of just deep conviction about why I don't worship him. Just worship him. Give him a claim and honor. We get all worried when we come in here, we're, we're at the church. We're always worried about how, you know, how we're worshiping. Good grief, we don't even worship. Let's not even talk about how we worship. Just worshiping the Lord. With my life, I'm not talking about just singing, you know? But God strikes us down in this way. He lays us out. Let me give you a few more. God took speech away from Paul and he allows him to fly blind. Makes him go without food for three days which medical experts say that you shouldn't do. Why? Why would, he, why would God allow him to not eat for three days and why would God allow him to go blind? Maybe so that Paul could do nothing for three days, but think about the light and the voice. Maybe so that Paul would realize that none of this was about him, kind of like I did, but about someone else. Why? Maybe so that Paul would understand that he was not in control of anything in his life whatsoever. you know what's at the heart of every crucial spiritual awakening in our lives? It's the absolute discovery that I am not and never will be in control of my life. I tried to talk to you about that last week. Be very convinced. Let me close. Be very convinced about the importance of being led by people. Paul was being led by someone here. Be very convinced about the importance of being led by the Lord as it relates to transformation. Maybe you're confused today and you're hurt and you're cynical. Well, I want you to understand something. There are absolutely no dead ends with our ruler, sovereign king, Lord. There are no wrong turns. There's no wasted energy. God's going to recycle everything. God's in the business of doing his work with us. He's going to transform us, even though we're resistant. Let me give you one of my favorite quotes. See if it helps. The divine life intends for us to be totally remade by C.S. Lewis. The divine life intends for us to be totally remade. 
All the rabbit in us is to disappear. The worried, conscientious, ethical rabbit, as well as the cowardly and sensual rabbit. We shall bleed and squeal as the handfuls of fur come out. And then, surprisingly, we shall find underneath it all a thing we have never yet imagined. A real man. A real woman. A son. A daughter of God. Strong. Radiant. Wise. Beautiful. Drenched with joy. Is God pulling the fur out with you? God's transforming ways. The ways He transforms us aren't going to be our ways. We have to trust Him. That's the hard part. You think about that. Let's pray. Lord, uh, we're a stubborn people. We don't um, do well uh, with the hard things of your word. Uh, we, we don't want to be stopped in midlife. We don't want to be thrown to the ground. We don't want to hear your voice. We don't want to be blinded. We, don't, we are very resistant. You need to sanctify us in a different way. And, and Lord, I, I guess I just pray for me and my friends today that you would um, allow us to open up your hands to your work and what you want to do in our lives. Lord, there's, there's so many of us here today that have little pockets and corners of our rooms, that, uh, of our lives, that we don't want transformed, that we want to hold back. And Lord, I pray that um, on your chase of us, that you would just do a deep work in us. I pray that you'd convict us of our um, <laughs> penchant need to walk, away, to walk away from you and not be with you. Help us to, uh, this week to be a people that trust you and know that you're good. We thank you in your name. Amen.